Events bring us together, inspire us, and provide us with lasting memories. But trying to run an event agency while creating these special moments can be difficult, demanding, and sometimes even dreadful, especially if you're trying to do it on your own. So the question is, how do we create wow factors for our attendees while delivering top-notch client events, all while running a profitable business? These are the questions, and I'm here to give you the answers. I'm Chrissy Thompson, and welcome to the Event Agency Secrets Podcast. Welcome, everybody. Welcome back to the Event Agency Secrets Podcast. Today on the show, we have Steven Weinreb. He is the Executive Vice President of Vayner Speakers, uh, which is a, a company underneath the umbrella of VaynerX, which is chaired and co-founded or founded by Gary Vaynerchuk. So um, Steven and I have had the opportunity to work together on uh, booking speakers for lots of our clients over the years. Um, and he's been an insanely, insanely valuable resource and made me look really great to clients in the venue, uh, sorry, in the speaker booking process. And I'm so excited to have you on the show. Steven, welcome. Glad to be here. Excited to uh, have this conversation. I know you and I sat down uh, a couple of years ago now and just kind of had a good chat. And ever since then, I've just done a lot of work together. So I've enjoyed working with you and looking forward to providing that same resource and insight into for your audience as well. Thank you so much. Yeah, like I said, you've been insanely, insanely helpful um, just in terms of when we have clients who need a big keynote speaker or even not a big keynote speaker, someone who's just going to be really helping drive, um, you know, great content for the audience. You really just have you have a pulse on, you know, who is going to be the best um, fit and then also like who's really great to work with all those things. You have all those insights and it makes me look so good um, to my clients. So thank you. Thank you. All right. So before we jump into things and um, really kind of dig into how speakers bureaus work and all of that fun stuff, why don't you just tell a little bit about yourself? how you got into the industry and kind of what you do, how you help clients. Yeah, sure. So my, my career actually started in the sports world. I was, I was in sports marketing, uh, doing a lot of uh, endorsement kind of work in that mm -hmm. space. Um, I also represented Olympic athletes at one point back in probably about 10 years ago, representing about 20 athletes that competed at the London Games. That, so that was more on the representation side. So initially okay. I was on the client side, then the representation side. Uh, and between both of that and also kind of just where things were going in, in the world, realizing that talent was a much broader word. It didn't have to be an athlete. And at the time, celebrities were starting to do a little bit more and more. Influencers really didn't even exist at that point, which is mm. now a whole other genre. And I realized that that talent is, is much broader. And so why limit myself to just sports or Olympians? Let me work with talent across the board, whether it's a celebrity chef, a celebrity, an influencer, someone that can impact an audience. Uh, and from there, that's where kind of my business had just grown in terms of booking talent for events. And it didn't matter what kind of talent. And that just materialized into a little bit more in, in the speaking side of things versus the endorsement side or the commercial side. Uh, and I, I enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed it. You know, I, I love sports growing up, thought I always wanted to be in the sports world. Sure. But the more I was kind of just around uh, this business, I realized that, you know, the, the one-off event that is speaking uh, actually has really significant impact and value for audiences in a different way than, than an endorsement or a commercial does. And so mm. um, I, I just enjoyed it. And I love the ability to kind of reach more talent and work with more people. And, and so I kind of transitioned more to just pure speaking. And then uh, about three years ago, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk decided to start uh, Vayner Speakers, brought it kind of his speaking in-house. So he's a co-founder of Vayner Speakers, but also my client. 
uh, and off the back end of that, built out you know a speakers bureau that represents uh, about 18 other clients exclusively. Um, but the bureau business, and we can kind of dive more into this, is is you kind of have a multi different models within the bureau business. You have the exclusive representation model where you have bureaus that just represent uh, mm. speakers or a collection of speakers, and that's all they focus on. That they're they're just getting them opportunity. And if you are looking for a different speaker they don't handle that business. Then you have bureaus that are non-exclusive, meaning they don't represent any speaker. And all they're doing is mm -hmm. looking to help you find the right speaker for your event. And then the Vayner speakers model, which is we do both. We do represent okay. people exclusively. And then we also help clients find speakers that may not be our exclusive client, but finding the right speaker for what they're looking for. Sure. And thank you for just clarifying that from the beginning, because I think when I got into the events industry, this is one thing that I just really didn't understand. Like, you know, I thought of like, I thought of like talent agents, speaker agents, and is that, would that be sort of in line with someone who is uh, representing someone exclusively, or is that like a whole other thing? Yeah, so you, you have speaker agents uh, and you also have managers and just like the celebrity world, you have different layers of people that are involved. There are right. speakers or there are people out there that have speaker agents that are dedicated to simply working on their speaking career um, and what they do in the speaking world. They are not their commercial agents. They don't handle their TV. They don't handle any sort of podcasting, right, or manage them. They just focus on speaking opportunities. And so you have mm -hmm. talent out there that have speaker agents specifically. And then you also have a lot of speakers out there that aren't represented by anyone. And they kind of handle their own business, um, you know, that that they're, they're, they enjoy being out there, but they're not looking to be on the road 120 days, you know, out of the year, but they'll still get in front of audiences and speak. And so there's a mix of people in terms of are they represented by an individual speaker's agent? Are they represented by a speaker's bureau, which ha could have multiple agents, or do mm -hmm. they handle it themselves? Got it. Okay, that's awesome. So, in terms of, um, you know, kind of how we should be thinking about starting the process of working between planner and speaker's bureau, what's that? Pro what's the best practice for how we should get started? Because I, I know like for me, sometimes it can be like a little bit of a trippy process. Um, so what can we do to better partner with you to get that process started? So I, I think the first thing to do is, is when you work with a speaker's agent or speaker's bureau is, is to get to know them, right? The reality is this is a relationship business. There are a lot of people that can book talent and find talent, but you want to get to know them because you, it's an education process, not just for the planner, but it's also an education process for the planners and clients. And so a lot of times when a planner or someone in the event space is saying, hey, we need a speak speaker, the first place I start is I need to understand more about the event itself and what you're looking for, because that will help with the process of figuring out who the right fit is. And so a lot of times what I would suggest for a planner is really understand what the end client is looking for or they think they are looking for, because those are the details that when you start pulling all those parameters and pieces together, will help actually streamline the process. Because I can I can always send 100 or 500 names of speakers that are out there, but if they're not really what the client's looking for, we're collectively just missing the mark. And so the first part is, is the education piece is, what are you looking for out of a speaker for your event? What What's the goal? What's the objective of bringing this external speaker to speak at either an internal event or an external event, but what is, what's that objective? And based on that and understanding kind of key messages, themes, things that you're hoping that the audience walks away from, and even budget, right, is, is an important piece. And so these are the elements of just trying to educate the end client first, 
to then be sure. able to come back to me or another agent to say, here are the elements that we're looking for a speaker on. Let, let's dive into it. And based on that, that's where things just be, are a little bit more uh, seamless in terms of ideas and things that will actually really resonate with the end client. Because otherwise we get sometimes get requests like, hey, we want a speaker. We don't know what we want or who we want or what budget. And I can always, we can always try to figure that out and work through that, but we're just, we're just guessing at that point. Totally. And I think that's something that we can definitely kind of take ownership of as planners is really trying to have those conversations before we even come to you of, first of all, who needs to be involved in this decision too, because that's another thing that gets us tripped up is, you know, maybe our director of marketing has some thoughts about who the, you know, who that person should be, um, or, you know, what the, what the theme is or what the content that they're looking for is, but then maybe the CMO later comes in and says, oh no, that's not it at all. I wanted someone, you know, that was going to be inspirational, not someone from our industry, that type of thing. And then maybe the CEO comes in and is like, oh no, that's not it at all. Like we need someone who's in the venture capital space, whatever. So kind of like making sure that all the right people have been brought in beforehand so that we're really making that process really smooth and efficient. It's hard to do because, you know, it's one of the things that people get the most excited about, especially with like our clients at Dynamo, where they're they're usually sort of growing tech companies. People are really excited to be, maybe this is the first time they're bringing on a big keynote or something like that. And they're like, you know, even before they've confirmed the venue or the date, they want to start looking into this. We haven't gone through maybe all the process, the, you know, the process of confirming the theme and what the, the journey that they want to take people through at the event um is and it would it would you know make the whole process smoother for everyone including the client if we kind of help them slow down and work through those things first so that we can make sure that the speaker is a really good fit for what they're looking for yeah and look there's two ways of doing that one as the event planner you're doing that right this is your end client and taking them through the process the same way that you would when they're looking at what hotels to get room blocks in or venues to look at uh, the mm-hmm. other thing that look depends on your relationship with the end client also depends on your relationship with the a bureau or the agent that you work with but what you do really well in certain cases you bring me onto calls with the end client because mm-hmm. it's just easier for sometimes them to hear it directly from me it kind of takes you out of the loop of things that you may may have taught them or t- told them about, but you forgot. Um, and collectively, right, we're all on a call. And that way, when we get off the call, the client has something to think about. You're also still able to be part of that process and very helpful and needed in that process. But they kind of just heard from, you know, I guess you can say the source in this one area of their event, because you're doing 15 things for them in terms of putting this event together. The speaking is just one piece. It happens to be a big piece, but it's just one piece. And so the the kind of lessen that load of, taking your client through everything by bringing people that specialize in certain things can also help streamline this. But again, that's also based on your relationship with the end client and also your relationship with, with the bureau partner. Cause there are a lot of people yes. that just kind of go to the internet and find this, you know, speakers bureau. They've never actually worked with them. They've never met with them. They don't know yes. anything about them. And so there's not a comfort level. And so that is one thing that, that I, I, I like with the work that I do with a lot of clients I've been working with people for three, four, five, six years because we developed that rapport and, and it just makes everything a little bit more seamless and frankly, more successful for the end client when they go through this process. Sure. So maybe the takeaway there is do the work to figure out who needs to be on that call, but then bring you into that call from the get go, go to help us make good, make us look good and, you know, just bring that level of expertise that maybe we don't have. Like 
one thing that we're really trying to do with this whole podcast is how can we tap into partnerships with vendors, suppliers, others in the industry who can help make our businesses more profitable and deliver top tier client events. So in terms of profitability, I mean, the time that it would take me to look into all of this stuff and figure out all this, you know, all this stuff that honestly, it would take me literally forever that you just know because of your expertise, it just makes sense to bring you in sort of as early as possible, but still doing a little bit of that work on the back end to make sure that the right people are involved um, from the beginning. A hundred percent. And also I'm not in the event space in terms of the business you do. So it's not competitive, right? There's no concern. Yeah. Like we're going to take over and start booking hotels for your client or <laughs> working on like, I, I don't, by the way, I don't want to do any of that. Like that. Yeah. I want to, I want to focus on speaking. And so if we can be that asset to, to help that conversation, great. But also we, I do work with some planners that say, you know what, I handle all of my end client conversations. That's cool too. I have no problem sitting on a call with you, your team, just to go through this for then you to have that information to go back to the client. It's another layer, but that works too, depending on, on relationships. Sure. That makes sense. And cause there are, and, and whether you're maybe in touch with the end client or not, I will say like for our, for our end clients, they can't, they sometimes do feel like they can be maybe a little bit more honest with us for whatever reason, they could have been honest with you about feedback on whatever the ideas were or, you know, sure. whatever it is, but we can kind of maybe have those sidebar conversations. And then we, as the planner can come back to you and, and provide that in a nicely packaged way. Um, but anyway, yeah, like, like you're saying it's, it's really, it is a true partnership in, in the sense that nothing's competitive. We are really just helping each other, um, deliver better events for our clients. Right. So 100%. that's exactly yeah. what goal is. We want the clients to be happy with, with everything we bring to the table. Exactly. So let's dive into sort of like the different types of speakers that we can be booking. Um, I usually kind of divide them into two categories, one being the, the big keynotes that you're really going to use um, that are like household names that are really going to help drive registration. Um, so really like highlighting those people in promotion. And then the second category is maybe people don't know that maybe it's not a household name, but they're really going to help um, drive that content. And when people are actually there, they've registered, um, maybe not based on the name, but they, they find themselves at the event and they just get an insane amount of value from that content when they're there. So those, that's how I usually divide it. But like, I'm curious how I'm sure you have like lots of other ways that you look at it. So how, how do you look at the, yeah, yeah. I, think you're, I think you're spot on in terms okay. of like the, the baseline of like option one, option two, without, without going so, so deep, right. It, it, you're right. It's either the big name headliner name recognition, trying to use this name to draw, draw registration. It helps with marketing promotion because now you're associating with this speaker, even though it's just for this event, you're still putting brand out there tied to the speaker. Uh, and then the other side is the content. And by the way, you can also find both, right? You can find that big A-list name that's going to deliver great content as well. But in simple terms, those are the two buckets. And, and usually you break those buckets down also based on client budget, right? Is, is if a client's budget is on the lower side and they're thinking they're just going to get this big name, it's it, the education is we can't get the big name, but we can focus on someone that's going to deliver great content, which, which honestly, I think usually has a better tail in terms of mm. success because when... If, you, if you're building this event, the speaker is part of it. They are not the event and they shouldn't be thought of as the event because if you don't have anything else around them, you don't really have an event. And so when I say like a longer tail of success, if you bring the right speaker where people signed up for your event 
Maybe your registration wasn't as high as you wanted, but you delivered great content with unique speakers that people didn't think about. The word of mouth that's going to come after that event is is going to is going to two, three, four times fold the the success of what that looks like. Because now they're saying, you know what? Next year, I don't know their speakers, but they they did they brought great content to the stage. Like that's mm-hmm. how you tell your friends. We, you should go to this event. Like you're not going to get the headliner that you're thinking of, but they just find the right speakers to deliver the right content. And to me, I think that's frankly, word of mouth is a better way to build the success of an event and, and a business versus just hiring a big name. Because at a certain point that does, will, that will lose some steam, right? Because everyone's going to overpay for the next big speaker. If you keep on building the right content, to me, you have much more uh, higher probability of success in, in, in the long term for that. That's so smart. It's so strategic. You just, it, it really is good to be thinking about those things. And like I said, for a lot of our clients, it's the first time that they might be bringing in someone this big, or maybe they think they have the budget for someone that big, but then we help them find someone that's maybe in that same realm, but, but not as high budget, but then they actually do get that, that tail that you're talking about because the content is so good and people are coming back the next, you know, year after year because of that. And like you said, telling their friends, colleagues, peers about it, um, which is really going to help your event grow in the future, which is really what you want. So um, right. obviously there's, there's other things tied to that um, sales 100%. and marketing metrics, but, but really you need people there in order to, to, to have those metrics be successful. So correct. Yeah. And by the way, the more word of mouth you have, the less marketing you have to spend behind it to just less get dollars. The, the, mm-hmm. the, new, the new and next name in there. I mean, the funny thing is, or the irony is on the, you know, post event surveys that a lot of times are sent out to audiences, there's never a question like, Hey, should we have brought in a bigger name speaker? Right. It's always content, right? Did you enjoy the content? Did they, was there mm. impact and value for what they provided? And so when you, when you're starting to look at speakers, think about that as like, what, it, what are you trying to leave behind for your audience? And sometimes that big name is the right name. And sometimes yep. it is more content focused. Great. So let's talk a little bit about the different types of sessions that you can be bringing speakers in for. So I know we've got like keynotes, but we can also do moderated Q and A, maybe more like workshops. How do you advise clients to pick between these things? And is it tied to what the speaker is most comfortable with or what the content team needs? Like, how do you go about that process of picking? I think it's, I think it's both. Um, there are speakers out there that won't give a keynote and mm-hmm. especially the bigger names, usually the bigger name celebrities and or some of those other folks just won't do keynotes. Um, it also depends on what the end client is looking for and how much customization they need. Cause there's a reality mm-hmm. to, um, you know, a lot, a lot of speakers that do give keynotes talk about that they customize their talk or they tailor it. I like to use the word tailor because to me, customization is like, they are starting from scratch and kind of rewriting their talk based on the content or what's needed. Tailoring it is they have a track, you know, a talk track, and then they're just maneuvering it a little bit more. So it focuses on your audience or something that, you know, a keyword that was in, a theme that was important to you. Um, sure. And so to me, when you have an end client that is wants something very customized, that plays into which format I would recommend, which is a moderate Q&A and a fireside chat versus mm-hmm. a keynote, because a keynote, you're going to have someone on stage talking about something they may talk about two or three other things, but they can't talk about 15 things. Everyone in the audience will be lost trying to hear this keynote and go in this direction, that direction, this. But when you are in a moderated conversation, it allows you to transition to four, five, six, seven different things without people feeling lost because the moderator is the one that's introducing it, framing the question, providing some. And so 
when we look at format, it's based on both what speakers can do what, and also what kind of the objective of bringing the speaker is for the, for the client to figure out what format makes sense. Now, you are also playing in a world of hybrid and virtual now, which yes. did two years ago. And so that plays into it, where virtually you have some speakers that deliver awesome keynotes in person, great energy, great stage presence, and virtually either they won't do it because they hate talking to a screen and they, they play off the audience and now you can't virtually, or it just falls flatter virtually, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's another talking head. There's no engagement. The audience feels like they can just look at YouTube and see that same talk. There's nothing personalized to it. And so my general recommendation in the virtual world is, is more leaning more moderated Q&A and, and mm -hmm. fireside chat and audience Q&A versus a peer keynote. In the in-person world, to me, if someone has a great stage presence and they're a great keynote speaker, you want them to do a keynote. And it doesn't have to be the whole time, but you want them on stage doing a keynote. But then there's also some people that just won't do that and you just have to, you have to do the Q&A, which works really well as well. Yeah, so many nuggets in there. And yeah, just a few things I wanna drive home. Um, really thinking about what the high, sort of like the celebrity speakers are more comfortable with, just driving home that usually it is more moderated Q&A that they're more comfortable with speakers, or sorry, celebrity speakers, just because some of them are like athletes, right? Or like they're not, they're not professionally used to speaking in front of um, right. big crowds or like delivering some huge message. Or, um, or have the time to write a keynote, right? right. A lot of athletes <laughs> and celebrities, they're doing, they have 10 other things. Like they like speaking, but like they just don't have time to write a keynote that has substance. And so totally. uh, you're just not going to yeah. get content out of that. Yeah. But then sort of adding on to that is if you do want to tailor the content and tailor the message more, that moderated Q&A does make more sense than keynotes anyway, because you're framing the questions. So just driving those two points home, I think is, is really, really valuable for our audience. Um, and yeah, then the last and, thing, yeah. oh yeah, go ahead. Sorry, just to add to the moderated and framing questions. When you do moderate it, the moderator is super important with this process, right? Mm. And I know there are a lot of end clients that the CEO just wants to be on stage with the speaker or this executive that's you know, running the program wants to be on stage and kind of, and get in the limelight, which works, right? That's cool. But the moderator, the moderator role is super important because if they frame up questions correctly and they, and they're not just doing this question, answer, question, answer, it just plays so much nicer for the audience. And so to me, that's also when you, when you talk about format is try to find that right executive or even an outside moderator because that, that is a big part of the success of a conversation is, is how the moderator creates frames and asks questions. Such a great point. Thank you for not letting me, letting me skip over that and, and take that home too, y'all. The moderator can be someone that you hire. There are professionals who are professional moderators who are really, really good at this. Um, so keep that in mind as an option as well. Love it. So you mentioned in there the sort of the transition to virtual that we've all been dealing with. Um, can you talk a little bit about how that has changed the speaker booking process, how fees have changed, any anything that you can share in terms of, you know, what that's changed about yeah. the industry? Well, we could go on a whole <laughs> podcast about this because it has completely changed the landscape of, of the speaking world for mm. in every level, right? Fees are generally about 50% of in-person fees, give or take. Uh, you have formats that are, that are different is, is, again, like I mentioned, people that normally give great keynotes don't even want to give keynotes. But where the other elements that have played in, and we're also starting to see as well, is now we're starting to see the hybrid model, right? And so we there, but that plays into, there's some speakers that if there's a gathering of people in person, they don't want to speak virtually to them. 
right? They want to either be in person with them or everyone has to be virtual. Like things like that have now started to play into the logistics and formatting. Um, but then you also have the usage side. You know, pre-COVID, pre there were speakers that never allowed, allowed their keynote to be recorded. Or if they yes. did, it was for archival purposes only. Yeah. In the virtual world, everything had to be recorded. And now you started having these usage clauses of, well, do we get to use it for, is it a one-time live stream? Is it 48 hours after the event? Is it 30 days? We have groups that ask for a year. All these factors of usage have now played in, you know, started to come into play, which never existed before. And it it's all workable. It just complicates things. And sure. the way I try to frame this for on the client side is like, there are clients that always ask for a lot because if you don't ask, you don't get, but sometimes they forget like, what's the goal of bringing in a speaker and what do you need them for? And, and frankly, sometimes the shorter term turnaround of like, you can only do it one time live stream, or you can only use it for 24 hours actually helps with uh, pushing audiences because people have to tune in versus sure. some groups that are like, we want it for six months and just to re-air. And it's like, great. Do you have data that shows after a week of this, like that you really get in a push of, of additional audiences. Because by the way, you can't promote it additionally. You just, it's just sitting somewhere. And so those are the intricacies that have started to play into this now virtual world that never existed. Um, and it, and, and some, sometimes you'd have clients that are very firm on something and it's turned speakers away. And you've had speakers that say, these are my terms, they're non-negotiable. And others, we try to find some middle ground. But I always, you know, for the event planner, it's, it's what is the client really what do they want and what do they need kind of trying to sure. find that balance and that's the best way to figure out how to bring an offer an opportunity to a speaker is like do you need everything you want or are you okay with something to get kind of the, the goal of, of your end goal yes and i know that that is something that you and i worked on really at the beginning of covid this this is a thing that was really coming up and we we're all just kind of trying to figure it out for the first time we had a client that wanted a completely custom experience recorded that they'd be able to reuse three times within one year and to get to that point was like it was really cumbersome of figuring out what they actually wanted um we we got it done but whatever it was that was that was a true partnership of us trying at the beginning of the pandemic you know figuring these things out that we really didn't have to figure out before i mean yes usage was always part of contracts but it definitely changed because of the virtual world. Um, 100%. So. And, and look, representing talent and being also on the other side of, of where I work with clients to find the right talent, I, I understand both perspectives, right? I understand why a company would want to use it. And I also understand why a, a speaker doesn't want it to be used. And so it is trying to figure out that middle ground of like, what's really needed? How is it going to be used? What's, what's useful about it? And then where can we push and pull to, to get a deal done? But it's becoming a, a negotiating point that never existed, right? It, yeah. It'd be in the contract. It would be very limited, sometimes not at all. But like that was the end of the conversation. Now it's almost becoming, it's like on the forefront of the negotiations, like the date's open, I'm available, the fee's right. Now let's talk about this usage part that you want to do. And so for me, I try to, I try to kind of educate people in the process of like, try to keep it simple. Right. The more complex you're looking at it, it's it's going to be layered. It's going to delay things. And by the way, you want the speaker for your event. Like if you wanted them for a year of content, let's talk about a whole different deal there in terms of what that looks like. But focus on what you're what you actually want the speaker for. And then let's try to figure out what what we can get out of that. That's going to help extend that in, in a reasonable way. 
Sure. So yeah, just always coming back to that. What's the goal of the event? Strategically, what makes sense for the event to keep things focused, keep the ball rolling and get that speaker booked. Love it. Okay. So we haven't talked about what we should expect in terms of fee ranges. So can you have like, I know this is, this is kind of like an annoying question. It's like, oh, it's like a huge range and it depends on so many factors, but is there any kind of like basis that you can give us? It's a huge range. And it's <laughs> uh, look, celebrities are a hundred thousand plus, right? Big names are all a hundred thousand plus. Uh, it, it's hard to just, the, the, the landscape of speakers just is so broad to be able to like, at 50,000, you're getting this at 25,000, you're getting that. If you want to do it in the, you know, probably the easiest world to kind of equate it to is a little bit more of the chef world. So Mm -hmm. A-list celebrity chefs are a hundred thousand plus, right? Those are the Bobby Flays of the world. Those are the, you know, Gordon Ramsay of the world in the 50 to a hundred thousand dollar range. Generally speaking, you're going to get celebrity chefs that are head judges on shows like Tom Colicchio or main or have their multiple shows of their own. Those are the kind of that you get in that 50 to a hundred and then the 25 to 50 range on the chef side, those are those are chefs that have been on multiple shows, maybe have been contestants that have won some shows, maybe are part-time judges like on Chopped or things like that. Those will fall in the 25 to 50. But when you start talking about the speaker world of like this business person is going to be fit, like there's no, there's no way to really just say like, here's where people are going to fall. Mm-hmm. What I will say on fees is in-person fees, virtual, as I mentioned, about 50%. Uh, of in-person. So if, you know, their in-person fees 50, generally they're going to be in the $25,000 range virtually. Uh, and then the other thing is anything below 10, at that point, you really, you're not getting any name recognition, right? There, there's zero name recognition there. That's more of like an industry speaker or someone that's very specific on a, on a topic that they know because of the business that they work for. Um, and so, it's hard in my world dealing much below 10,000 on, on a range. Cause at yep. that point you can, everyone's available, right? Like in terms of like anyone's a speaker, cause anyone is a speaker. They just have to be paid to speak, but anyone can actually talk. And so once you start dealing with budgets below 10 on that, you're just, you're gonna, it's going to be hard to find someone that's going to check a lot of the boxes of what you're looking so good. And thank you for actually answering that question. I know it's it's hard to do because it really does depend on so many factors. And like we were just talking about, the usage thing can totally bubble that up. So let's say what Stephen was just sharing, like that's if you have someone speaking live in an event, maybe it's recorded just for archival purposes. Um, but after that, if you need longer usage, then it's going to really increase that fee. So just keep that in mind. Um, so many nuggets today. Thank you so much for sharing everything. I want to just give you an opportunity. Like what's next for Vayner speakers? What are you guys working on? Uh, look, we, we started the, the bureau because we felt that the industry, the speaker industry was a little bit antiquated in terms of how companies were, were working with speakers and how they were booking speakers for events, very kind of turnkey in a way, which isn't a bad thing, but, uh, we just felt there's a stronger way to do it. The way we look at things at Vayner Speakers is there are no two events that are like, there are no two requests that are like. And if you're not malleable to that process, you're kind of really not helping the end client find what they're what they're looking for. And so just our approach in, in representation is finding speakers that one, deliver impact, deliver value, have good, really substantial content to deliver um, versus just people that maybe use buzzwords and kind of are you know fun to hear, but you, you walk away and you're like, what did they just tell me? I don't really, <laughs> really remember. 
Um, so on the representation side, it's finding unique people that have that are really good in certain areas, and also not just finding that inspirational or motivational speaker, but someone that has a story that has had success in something, but then are able to motivate people and inspire mm-hmm. people. And then on the the non-representation side is is really just not just booking the regular speakers that are out there. There are a lot of speakers that are just kind of on the circuit that are they're doing 150 events a year it's like how do you find those diamond in the roughs and for for us it is really about relationships and also kind of continuing to educate myself on new speakers and things that are happening what you tend to find in the bureau world is there are a lot of agents that will kind of stick to their staples of of clients or people and so there are a lot of times i joke with end clients that you know have talked to another bureau if they send me the five or six names that that the bureau shared with them I can probably 99% of the time tell you which bureau sent it to them. And again, it's not a bad thing because they are giving you ideas of people that do are highly well-received that deliver good keynotes, but it is, I think people want to find new blood. They want to find someone that has a different perspective that isn't out there that hasn't been seen at the last 15 conferences. And so where we focus is really expanding our database of ideas and talking to speakers that maybe we're not representing, but are really good speakers. And so educating ourselves on what else is out there, who else is out there, who to recommend, and, and really what, what they can deliver for end clients, because that's super important. Yes, exactly. And like I've said, that is why it's been so valuable for me to work with you and for you know all of our clients, because you are you have a pulse on all of those things. And I'm not in the know, right? Like I, I, I do know probably the five or six speakers that someone's bringing all the time, but I, I really need someone like you to help be, you know, bring the the new blood and, and actually know, not just are they new, but are they good too? So mm-hmm. yeah, really appreciate that about you. Thanks so much. Um, if anyone of our listeners wants to get in touch with you or find out more about Vayner Speakers, what's the best way? Uh, my email, Stephen with a V, S-T-E-V-E-N at VaynerSpeakers.com. And then also, awesome. uh, maybe I shouldn't give it out, but my cell phone, you can always call me. Uh, <laughs> We'll post it somewhere on on the Facebook page. That way this uh, doesn't just go into the universe. But uh, (laughs) just with questions, and I know our relationship kind of started out as more of just just trying to understand a speaker and the landscape. And so even if you don't have an event that you're looking to book or you have an event, but they may or may not need speakers, I'm available just to kind of bounce ideas around, you know, share some insight, try to help that process along because the booking is the end. The whole process is really about going through finding the speaker, uh, whether they end up going with the speaker or not. It's, it's the education process to try to help end clients kind of understand what's available for them. Amazing. Such a great resource. Thank you so much, Stephen. And thanks for listening. Awesome. Thanks, guys.